If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening. It's a good decision, by the way, to listen to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. Yes, I am your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com, slash Show for watching the program live or on demand as we inch ever so closely to Christmas Appreciate you listening. Thank you for joining us. And again, great decision, by the way. Your decision-making abilities are top-notch by deciding to join this program here this morning. So today I want to focus on, I guess, kind of a conglomeration of what the Democrats are doing. Now, I want to start off by saying I'm not – what do I want to say? I, I don't defend the Republicans – carte blanche. I'm a conservative. I am a Republican because that is really the only place that a conservative politician can survive today. In fact, you have you have someone, this uh, this congressman, who is switching parties, right? He's switching parties from Democrat to Republican. Over this Trump deal. Now, they'll, they'll tell you it's because of other problems. They'll tell you that Democrats don't like this guy. Do you know what this guy – and I just read this the other day. He votes with this Congressman Van Drew, who was a Democrat, soon to be a Republican, maybe officially a Republican now. I don't I don't know. But in the process or soon recently just changes his party affiliation. Votes with the Democrat Party. It was in the 80 percentiles when I saw this. I can look it up during the break and tell you. So that, I guess, <laughs> I guess that qualifies as someone who is too conservative for the Democrat Party. Of course, in a sane world, we're not talking about anyone who's conservative here, like truly, truly fundamentally conservative, maybe on some issues, isn't radically off the charts. But the Democrat Party has been taken over by ultra-radicals. I mean the folks that Many people in the heartland may never have even met, or there's a couple of them, right? Unless you went to a liberal university. As Look, I went to Butler University, which I wouldn't define as liberal when you look at things like the business school or the pharmacy program, for example. Some of you listening this morning may have been uh, – may have attended Butler. But I'm telling you, you go to the liberal arts and sciences, which is where I was – 
and they are ultra liberal. They were when I was there, and I expect the same is true today. And probably, hard to believe, and I hesitate even saying this, but probably even further to the left today, because this is in the era of the resistance. This is after the Trump presidency. There might be, for all I know, professors there. I don't know this for certain, but it's not hard to imagine there's professors there trying to carve out the safe spaces, maybe screaming at the universe on election day or inauguration day, maybe some folks that had to have coloring books or service support animals, maybe they tried to bring those into the university. I don't I don't know, but I'm saying that is the environment in college today in universities across the fruited plain here in this great nation today. And so not only are they being taken over by the radical leftists, these are folks who fundamentally, fundamentally loathe, hate the United States of America. I know that's hard to believe. I know that's not what we're taught in civics class. And I know that's not what the average rank-and-file Democrat believes. That's not what the average rank-and-file Democrat believes. In fact, the average rank-and-file Democrat still loves his country. I believe this. There's some people that don't agree with this, these sentiments. The radical left doesn't. They want to change everything about it. They want to fundamentally transform this nation. And if you watch the debate stage, and that's what I want to move into here, and I want to take that stage that we saw last night, well, it's probably announcement to many of you. You probably didn't even know, and that's not an insult. You just realize that they're insane and have no interest in what they're saying. But there was a Democrat debate last night. And the other thing is it's been overshadowed by all the nonsense we've been watching unfold in Washington, D.C. All this nonsense with impeachment, with impeaching President Trump and then not passing it off to the to the Senate – uh, then, the, then a recess, and then just you know, basically hanging there. This this issue hanging there deliberately, I might add, deliberately, I might add, as we go through the holidays, ready to pick this up in January. Who knows where? What's the next step? We don't know. Nancy Pelosi is going to be keeping her finger on the pulse. As I've said before, we should not underestimate her ability to make political decisions. She is a she is very, very skilled in navigating political issues, and she's very, very skilled at getting the votes that she wants. As I've said before, these closed-door meetings, these discussions she's having with the caucus, these are, these are cutthroat sort of meetings. She's not in there saying, well, you know, just vote your conscience, guys. No, 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 not how it works. Not how it works. This is ruthless. This is tough. This is my way or the highway sort of stuff, folks. I'm telling you, that's how this works. Anyway, so there's that element, the radical element. You got so there's really three elements in my mind. You've got the radically, uh, the radically uh, fundamental ideology, the socialist agenda, which is taking over today's Democrat Party. You got the ruling with the iron fist. Nancy Pelosi, the way that she manages her caucus, the way that she gets the votes that she needs. I know, yes, that there's a majority whip who's supposed to be the one 
that's lining up the votes. And I'm not saying that this, uh, this position doesn't have influence, but I'm telling you it starts at the top. Nancy Pelosi is a ruthless politician. She is good at the craft of politics. She's crazy in what she wants to implement. The things that she says are truly insane, but nonetheless, she's a master of, of politics. We have, to, we have to accept that. So you have those two things. And then the third thing that I want to talk about, and I was thinking about this yesterday, and I actually, I don't, you know that sometimes I like to come up with nicknames, and it's never, it's never in, look, we're conservative, not bitter. I think when you engage in political speech, you have to be given the freedom to make what I want to say. You have to be able to have the freedom to make, uh, to, to say things in a way to really emphasize your point. There has to be a little bit of hyperbole, exaggeration. There has to be some, a little bit of healthy drama, right? A little bit of, just to communicate the importance of these ideas. And so doing something like this, you constantly think of ways, how can I communicate that differently or better? Right, and now we start with how do I communicate it accurately, and then how do I use the tools of verbal communication to communicate that better? And it's a constant, I don't know, constant thought process. How do you reposition, not reposition it, but just shine a light on the issue differently? How do we make people see it for what it really is instead of see it for how the media and the left tell them to see it? Right, that's kind of. I think the business that we're engaged in here. So as I was sitting and thinking yesterday, it just hit me as I thought back to the the Democrat Party. Even Look, you can go back further, but just even over the past year, just take the past year. The, the since the, Let's just go to the Trump presidency, right, since 2016. So in addition to the Democrats becoming more and more you – know, moving uh, further and further to the left – in addition to the leadership in the Democrat Party ruling with a well, more of an iron fist, right? More of uh, just ruthlessness, which we saw. Believe me, the the vote on impeachment was fueled by that. These middle of the road Democrats, while I'm not saying that they don't want Trump out of office, they want to stay in office, and many of them believe that they just sacrificed their seat for Nancy Pelosi and for some larger strategy here where the Democrats think that they can minimize the losses in the House, somehow maximize their potential pickups in the Senate, and also win the presidency. That's the the calculation. That's the strategy. And so they realize this, but what else are they supposed to do? As I said yesterday or maybe the day before, sometime this week, as I said sometime this week, the only option for someone who's a Democrat who really wants to uh, – well, unless you want to retire, I guess, or change parties. That's, that's your option. Your option is to vote as Nancy Pelosi wants you to vote or change parties slash retire. Other than that, you're really at the mercy of Nancy Pelosi because she can and will and probably has made life miserable for folks who would not cooperate. That's why you only saw a couple. That's why you saw the clenched jaw when she read that Tulsi Gabbard voted present. She was not happy about that. We posted that video clip on Facebook. You can take a look at that. I think it was yesterday. You can look at that and you can judge for yourself just how happy Nancy Pelosi was. That's not the the way it was supposed to be, not what they talked about 
behind closed doors. And, ironically, Tulsi Gabbard's not going to seek re-election. So, I mean, in one sense, she has nothing to lose other than she's going to be permanently blacklisted from the radical Democrat Party because she's not going to be the nominee for president. And so now what's she doing? Anyway, so the third the third part of this, as I'm getting notification here that it is in fact time to take our first our first time out. The 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 third part of this, in addition to the radical ideology that's taken over, in addition to the firm reign of Emperor Pelosi of the party, we also have another element that we've seen play out uh, in multiple ways. And that's what I want to focus on here throughout the remainder – well, throughout a good chunk at least, maybe the rest of the program, depending on what all we get into. But the third part, which is the extreme drama of the Democrat Party. In fact, as I was thinking, how do I communicate this? It just kind of hit me. I think it's appropriate, and we might start referring to them as such moving forward. But these folks are dramacrats. That's what they are. They're dramacrats. Everything that's happened – you look back, and we'll go through this, back to Kavanaugh, back to Trump-Russian collusion, back to this impeachment process, back to the debate last night. Everything. Drama to the max. And I'm not even talking about – you heard me say earlier that I think someone engaged in political speech should be able to use the tool of some dramatic effect. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a full, you know, orchestrated, basically – Production, a, a, a play. I mean, we're effectively in Act Two, Scene One, with Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats leaving Washington, D.C., with the articles of impeachment not being, not having been handed over to the Senate, taking a Christmas recess, if I'm allowed to say that. Maybe it's a winter break. But nonetheless, they've taken that, that break, leaving us hanging as folks wait to tune in after the first of the year to Act 2, or I guess Act 1 will take place. So act, we've set the stage for, for Act 2, Scene 1. It's almost like a, a sitcom or some uh, dramatic TV series that leaves you hanging at the end of May before they come back with the new series or the new season in September. You don't know if your favorite character is going to live or die. You don't know if the couple that's been together for a full season or two is going to get married or he's going to pop the question or whatever right? Keep you hanging throughout the summer. She's going to keep you hanging through Christmas. They are dramacrats, folks. Dramacrats to the extreme. I've got to take a time out. When we get back, we'll talk more about this, illustrate some problems with this, and talk a little bit about last night's debate and how the dramacrats hate this idea of wealth. Talk about that as we, well, they want you to think they hate it. They're happy to accumulate it themselves, but they like to demonize they like to posture. They like to fundraise against the notion that wealth is evil and so forth. So we'll talk about that when we return, but I've got to take a time out. You are listening to the home of conservative, not better talk. Great decision, by the way. You should be applauded for this wonderful decision that you've made today. Be back here in just a minute. Talking about the Democrats, who I have affectionately now referred to as the Dramacrats, everything is drama. And I mean off the charts drama. 
Who are the ones who are telling you that ha- you only have, at best, 10 years left on this planet? Who are they? Who are the ones who are stirring the world into a frenzy, who've gotten this young girl, this young girl who's come to the United Nations or wherever the world she's been. She's been all over the place speaking. This teenager, this Greta uh, from, where is she from, Sweden, taken, she's taken boats across the ocean, taken her weeks to get to her destination. In fact, she got somewhere and the destination had been uh, changed or rescheduled and she couldn't get there because of course if she flies on a jet she's going to probably take 30 seconds 30 seconds of the precious time we have left and flush it down the toilet i mean this girl is angry it's it's and look i know that she's being politically manipulated by some folks as well but she she's been manipulated for a long time into believing this level of just pandemonium i mean it's created pandemonium and angst for these young people who are the ones by the way anytime there's a conservative nominated to the court almost anytime there's a few examples where they strategically decide we're not going to be able to get someone who are the ones that go after them in ways that we've never seen before constantly raising the bar especially we could point to the kavanaugh hearing Right. As soon as Kavanaugh – look, if Kavanaugh did the things he was accused of doing, if he did, and I'm not suggesting that's what's accurate, but let's just for the sake, the sake of just the discussion, if that is what's happened, they they shouldn't stop talking about this. They shouldn't stop pursuing justice just because he's now on the court. Doesn't that raise suspicion and questions for you if they're only concerned about this guy until he gets – confirmed on the court and then doesn't care about his alleged victims what's that say about justice that's not the way to go about this if that if that's a true thing and again not suggesting it is i'm just making a case here then you would pursue what you would proceed with that even after even after you lost politically but that's not what happens right then you go to things oh well let me pause on the supreme court you go back to the 80s there's actually a term Robert Bork. Robert Bork had similar – I mean, look, Clarence Thomas had uh, similar sorts of drama during his nomination process to the Supreme Court confirmation process. Robert Bork did. In fact, now we refer to someone who's been targeted by the Senate, by radical senators, as they've been borked, right? It's almost like you, know, you Google something and you've been borked. It's been – it's been such a predictable process and a normal procedure for the left that this is what we, you know, we, we can say. Who, when, when someone wins the presidency, and I'm not just talking about Trump, this always – now, it's not reached this, this level. It's not reached this fevered pitch. That being said, anytime a Republican's in the White House, anytime, you go back to – I mean, go back to Reagan – Reagan was attacked in similar ways, not to the level, but the similar, I don't know, accusations or uh, name-calling was levied at, at Ronald Reagan. He was a dunce. He was an actor. What's an actor doing in the White House, right? Trump is a uh, reality TV star. Here's a guy. All that he does is put his name on buildings, runs businesses in the ground. He can't negotiate. He can't do this. This guy's a phony. 
he's uh, you know his his dad really gave him you know fifty million dollars or whatever figure they're coming up with, right? They want his financial records. Why the financial? Why the fascination with his tax returns? By the way, why? Because we're going to find. You heard someone say. I don't remember who said this. I just heard this the other day. We might find when we look at Trump's taxes that he is owned and controlled by Russia. You think you really think you think that a tax return is going to say is going to make that de- uh, declaration. Now I'm not saying that they won't make that that inference. But they'll make that in they've already made that inference. The ta- what the heck is a tax return going to tell you about Russia owning Donald J Trump? You look at how they again approach this issue with Trump with Russian collusion, remember how they they mocked the idea of our elections being unfair when Trump said that it was being uh, the, the system was fixed. He was mocked and ridiculed for that. And then, of course, just a few weeks later, they're saying the same thing, and they've said it since then. In fact, we've got Democrat Congress people who said we have to vote to impeach Trump because we can't trust the election. We can't trust it. So we went from. Trump saying it's fixed and rigged, or whatever, I think he said rigged. Maybe he said fixed. Fixed or rigged. I think it was rigged. It's rigged. Rigged system. Oh, my goodness. This is the single greatest assault on our elections integrity in America's history. A few short weeks later, he wins the election. Now the Democrats and the media are saying it's fixed, it's rigged, it was stolen by Trump and the Russians. That doesn't cause problems with our system. Fast forward a little bit further. We've got the... Comey. I don't want to get into Comey right now, but all that drama and nonsense. Fast forward a little bit more. We've got the Mueller report. Fast forward a little bit more. We've got, well, you may have to rewind this, this one a little bit. You, you've got Roger Stone being, uh, his home being raided at 4 a.m., right? You got that going on. Then he's later that day released on bail, which doesn't seem to, to make sense to me. If you're going to, if you're going to go do a, a, you know, storm someone's house, and take them from their home at 4 a.m., the idea that they should be out that afternoon on bail doesn't seem to compute to me. Because what you're saying is, this guy is so dangerous, I've got to get him before he wakes up, and he's going to be out by lunch. How in, how in the in a sane world does that make any sense whatsoever? Drama, 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 drama. Everywhere you look, drama. Mueller report comes out. There's nothing... Uh, that that's recommended in there directly that, that you know Trump is guilty of something. Uh, there's inferences that people draw. They say, "Oh, Mueller gave us exactly what we needed, but we just didn't have the political will to do it." So that fell on its face. So they jumped immediately into Ukraine. Oh, that's right, a phone call with Ukraine, the single greatest threat to our uh, threat to our democracy. Right, our democracy. They're subtly, by the way, redefining how people are supposed to think about their country. It's a constitutional republic that's certainly got democratic aspects, but within those, within that framework, we also have individual rights that are reflected in the Constitution that a majority of people should never be able to take away from one single person. Democracies, on the other hand, can do that. Anyway, drama, drama, drama. These debates are drama play a clip from that when i get back but i've got to take a timeout. oz has dutifully notified me thank you oz that it's time to take a break so i'm gonna do that when we get back i want to play a soundbite 
a soundbite from the Dramacrat debate last night. I want to talk about money and politics. I want to talk about millionaires, <laughs> millionaires on a stage, criticizing millionaires from influencing elections. Crazy stuff. It's drama. It's fake. It's a play. It's a production. It's not real. They want you to think it is. It's about anything besides what it should really be about. This is what these folks are, are skilled at. This is their skill set. And it's not necessarily always good, but this is what they focus on. They focus on manipulating circumstances, manipulating photo ops, manipulating narratives, manipulating headlines to get what they want to make the drama continue. Act two, scene one, there's no shortage for how many acts and scenes that this production can have. And there's no shortage, there's no shortage of the amount of lunacy that these folks will in, insert into their playwriting, uh, into their scripts, because it's complete bonkers out there. <laughs> it really is. Got to take a break. You're listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. So, want to play a little bit of a soundbite from last night's Dramacrat debate. The Dramacrats take the stage. You may not have known this because all we've been talking about is impeachment, Nancy Pelosi's brilliance, which again, strategically, she knows what she's doing. But if you lay out the rationale and the reasoning and try to make sense of this and try to defend what they're doing, it's a completely different topic. But that's not how this is approached. This is this is approached uh, the media. The media will dutifully tell us how brilliant and savvy Nancy Pelosi is. How she's doing all that she can, all that she can to save our constitutional republic from President Donald J. Trump. And she really should use all of the tools at her disposal to save this democracy, as they say. But anyway, so I don't want to get into that. I want to shift gears, move a little bit into this Democrat debate. So last night, so we have what, I think there were seven on stage last night. Should be pointed out that all these folks are net worth millionaires, right? These are net worth, with the exception, with the exception of Pete Buttigieg, who doesn't appear to have more than $100,000 net worth, according to reports. This is, look, we're all at different points financially. Look, and everybody, I'm, I'm not... I'm not saying that you should have to have a certain net worth to run or anything like that, but th this is applauded as a well, as an advantage, I guess, for someone to go up there and say my net worth is only one hundred thousand dollars or whatever the case might be. But it is important in the sense that all these folks are attacking, maligning, criticizing, blaming. All of America's problems effectively are on the one percenters, America's millionaires and billionaires, right? That's what we're supposed to believe. Meanwhile, we've got a whole stage full of millionaires, and if Michael Bloomberg was up there, billionaires. So with that being said, I want to play this exchange. They're actually debating, they're actually de <laughs> debating whether or not, um, what's the phrase here, um, something with fundraisers and and 
wine, you know, wine sales or some such thing. Wine, I think it's wine sales in ca- wine caves. There you go. Elizabeth Warren calls this uh, Pete Buttigieg's. That's a tough thing to say. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg's uh, fundraiser were. Wine caves were is where they took place. She says a wine cave, and they were attended by billionaires. So that being said, I want to play this exchange. Pausing here. Okay, don't get mad at me. Oz, how much time do we have before the next break? Okay, I'm going to do it then. I'm going to do it. So this is the exchange that I want you to hear last night during the Democrat debate as they debate wine caves attended by billionaires. Here you go. So the mayor just recently had a fundraiser that was held in a wine cave full of crystals and served $900 a bottle wine. Um, Think about who comes to that. He had promised that every fundraiser he would do would be open door, but this one was closed door. We made the decision many years ago that rich people in smoke-filled rooms would Peace not pick the next president of the United States. Billionaires in wine caves should not pick the next president of the United States. Mr. Mayor, your okay. response. I don't know what Elizabeth Warren thinks is going on here. I don't know if she thinks there's a vote happening. Sounds like it's a fundraiser to me. I mean, there's no, there's no secret vote. So they're not picking the president. I understand what she's saying. Billionaires, they give all this money corrupts our system they're the ones that are picking our actual president so that's what she's out there saying keep in mind elizabeth warren's estimated net worth that of her and her husband combined is between eight and twelve million dollars keep that in mind which again i got no problem with well i guess depending upon how you how you earn it uh, as long as it's legal ethical and you're not using your position in politics to uh, as a public servant yes a public servant would go there to serve the people serve the people Anyway, Pete continues with this response. According to Forbes magazine, I am the literally the only person on this stage who's not a millionaire or a billionaire. So if this is important, yeah, yeah, cheer that. This is the problem with issuing purity tests you cannot yourself pass. If I pledge, if I pledge never to be in the company of a progressive Democratic donor, I couldn't. Be up here. Senator, your net worth is 100 times mine. Now, supposing that you went home feeling the holiday spirit, I know this isn't likely, but stay with me, and decided to stay with go on to peepforamerica.com and give the maximum allowable by law, $2,800. Would that pollute my campaign because it came from a wealthy person? No, I would be glad to have that support. We need the support from everybody who is committed to helping us defeat Donald Trump. Okay, there's more on this, but I've got to take a break. Pete accidentally may have stumbled into something that makes a little bit of common sense here. I mean, he's just trying to defend himself. Don't don't really believe that he's defending millionaires and billionaires. He just, he's defending his campaign. He sees a difference between he, between himself and everyone else on that stage, and he's trying to exploit it, use it to his advantage. But he's actually right here, whether or not he intends to be fundamentally right or just win this argument and get some applause from the from the crowd. But he said, look, if I'm not supposed to be in the presence of millionaires and billionaires, I can't I can't be on this stage because everyone up here besides me is either a millionaire and a billionaire. So there's a little bit more to this that I'll have to play when I get back. But again, drama, drama, drama in last night's 
dramacratic debate, if you want to call these things debates. Anyway, got to take a time out. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. Yes, that's right. I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. So, talking about the Dramacratic debate last night, talking about sharing this clip, Pete Buttigieg versus Elizabeth Warren. By the way, by the way, this is uh, clearly, if we're keeping score in a sane world, Pete Buttigieg is actually right here. I don't want to give him too much credit because if he becomes the nominee, which is which is possible, by the way, he could become the nominee. In fact, a lot of people think he will become. I shouldn't say a lot. There, are, there's a building uh, movement, a growing movement of folks who believe that Buttigieg will become the nominee for the Democrat Party. But be that as it may, I'm sure once he gets to that level, any sort of accidental stumbles into sanity on the Democrat, excuse me, the Democrat debate stage, will be eradicated and will go to all-out radical insanity like we see from. From the other candidates here. But anyhow, I mean, he'll get the, the consultants will get him. They'll, they'll tell him he's got to reach out and catch the uh, capture and motivate those who are energetic. And I'm not saying there won't be a move to the center as well, but we will hear the more that, that these uh, individuals talk, the more things that they say that aren't helpful to them candidly. One of the reasons Joe Biden is not listed as a, or excuse me, isn't, isn't, really supposed to speak after 4 30 they don't they don't want him to say things when he says things it's, it's damaging damaging to his campaign so i want to really quickly and then i'll play the rest of this debate remember this is the party that criticizes that criticizes wealth that criticizes the top earners in this country uh, that that basically calls them the one percenters and, and says that they're not paying their fair share in taxes let me really quickly here go through a a rundown of the folks on the stage. Elizabeth Warren's net worth is eight to twelve million dollars estimated, and you would think that people who make that much make that much money, which God bless her, God bless her. We're talking about net worth now, not annual income. But in 2017, she donated nine percent to charity. In 2018, a mere five and a half percent. I know many of you in this audience donate at least ten percent, especially if you go to to church. Bernie Sanders, two and a half million dollar net worth is actually on record. I love this, by the way. Actually making the case for capitalism without even maybe realizing it. He says, I wrote a best-selling book. If you write a best-selling book, you can be a millionaire too. So there you go. Bernie Sanders taking advantage of the free market, but he wants to eliminate and eradicate it for you. That seems like a good old socialist to me. Joe Biden, $9 million net worth. You want to talk about a guy that doesn't believe in uh, giving money to charity. Let me read you this really quickly. Joe Biden, you can go back, back to 1998. Joe Biden, and well, he and his wife, their charitable contributions in 98 was $195. I'm just going to read the years. So 98 was 195 then 120 the next year, 360 360 260 260 380 That's $380. Not until he's running for vice president does it jump up to an astronomical $1,885. Today, well, in 2012, which is the last time 
uh, the, the last numbers I can see here, $7,190 on a $385,000 income. These folks don't give. I could keep going, but I don't. I want to play this. I can't. I want to play this. the rest of this soundbite of Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren debating this on the stage. Here you go. Well, not cooperating, so maybe we won't go. Point is, the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party is, is I mean, they're, they're Democrats. Here, here's what we pick up. But stay with me. And decided to go on to PeteForAmerica.com and give the maximum allowable by law, $2,800. Would that pollute my campaign because it came from a wealthy person? No, I would be glad to have that support. We need the support from everybody who is committed to helping us defeat Donald Trump. We would. We would like to bring in everyone, but obviously, Senator Warren, like to give you a chance. Raising their hands on the stage. I do not sell access to my time. I don't do call time with millionaires and billionaires. Sorry, as of when, Senator? I don't meet behind closed doors with big dollar donors. And look, I've taken one that ought to be an easy step for everyone here. I've said to anyone who wants to donate to me, if you want to donate to me, that's fine. But don't come around later expecting to be named ambassador, because that's what goes on in these high dollar fundraisers. I said no, and I asked everybody on this stage to join me. This ought to be an easy step. And here's the problem. If you can't stand up and take the steps that are relatively easy, can't stand up to the wealthy and well-connected when it's relatively easy, when you're a candidate, then how can the American people believe you're going to stand up to the wealthy and well-connected when you're president and it's really hard? Judy. Senator, Judy. Senator I've got to respond. Oh, hey, Mr. Mayor, we're going to give you one more chance to respond. If you can't say no to a donor, then you have no business running for office in the first place. But also, Senator, your presidential campaign right now, as we speak, is funded in part by money you transferred, having raised it at those exact same big-ticket fundraisers you now denounce. Did it corrupt you? All right, I, I, I got to stop. I'm simply out of time. But this is this is the debate they had last night. This is the debate they had that last night at the Democrat Party. Got to stop and take a break. You're listening to the Homo Conservative, not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. So this is, for many of you, many of you will be off maybe all of next week with Christmas. This could be the last time, uh, you know, I know folks uh, listen on their way to work and so forth. You probably should think, how do we still catch the program, which you can download our podcast off of iTunes or wherever you get your your podcast. You can listen to ToddHuffShow.com. Um. But look, I know that this is uh, – we're wrapping up. We're getting to the end of the year next week's Christmas. The following week is, is New Year's. Um, we've got a couple of special episodes. We'll do our annual Christmas episode that you'll uh, – on, on Monday. And I've got a couple of other things that I'll be – that we'll be producing. So there will be some time that I take off during these next two weeks to recharge – 
to get some things in order. I'm not taking off. There's plenty of work to be done. I don't want to misunder- be misunderstood here, but some things we're doing behind the scenes to ramp up to the January um, time frame where we'll be going to hour number two. Hour number two. So look forward to that in January, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to our program. I hope you have a great weekend, a great Christmas, a great New Year. We will see you next week. SDG, take care, guys.